Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. This is Scott. I'm your host today, and I'm super excited to have my guest Marcus Allgood with us. Marcus is the father of two kids, one six years old and one turning three in August. He's been married for nine years to his lovely bride, Kelly. He's been a CrossFitter for 10 years, has owned a CrossFit affiliate for seven years, and he currently has a podcast called The Marcus Allgood Show. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Be, uh, happy to be here, Scott, and uh, looking forward to just bringing some value to everybody, and hopefully they, they'll get something out of it and just understand that being a father is like one of the greatest things that a man can do in his lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So actually, I love that because you said bringing value. So tell me a little bit about what value you bring through your podcast because you, you have a recent podcast. I'd love to hear about that and kind of hear about what your content is. Um, just get us kicked off. Yeah, the podcast, Mark is All Good Show. I started it because of the fact that I've been on a personal journey, personal development journey for quite a long time now. And I didn't, and when I started the personal development journey 10 years ago, I didn't really, it wasn't really called personal development back then. I think it's kind of evolved over the times. And so the more and more I've been coaching as a CrossFit coach and the more I talk to people and the more I found out about how their exercise was going compared to how their mindset was going, a lot of times they were trying to bring the stress into the gym and they weren't getting a good workout. They were stressing themselves out. They were they were making it harder on themselves when the gym was supposed to be a fun, happy place just to let loose and sweat and have a good time. And so I would start talking to the clients a lot more and just digging deeper into the psyche of where they were. And that kind of drew me out. The more and more I thought about it is the more I, it drew me my thoughts out. And so I wanted to start bringing those to you know, anybody that wants to listen and bring it out to the world. So my podcast is a personal development. Um, we talk about journaling, mindset. Uh, we talk about um, what it takes to just be able to make it through the day-to-day -day life and like how, how you have to be to just stay happy throughout the world and just live a, a lesser stress of life. I found out that the hard way I found out the hard way that the more stress you have, the the harder life is going to be. And the last, the last show I talked about being 1% better. And as CrossFitters, we always talk about, you know, don't, don't rush the process. Just take your time. Just try and get to be 1% better. And that's such a different mindset shift that you have to have that you're, you're doing a marathon. You're not doing a sprint when you're working out or your health or your, career like nothing's a sprint in life everything's more of a marathon it just takes time and i went over went over that and also kind of related it to you know you have eighty six thousand four hundred minutes in a day how are you going to use those minutes and if it was related to your bank account would you just waste those extra dollars because it resets every day no and it's the same thing as your career or working out or anything that you start like a new business and your kids you're being a father, you have to be a little bit better each day because your kids are ever evolving and you have to learn on the fly and as you go. And so, so the very, the very beginning of the podcast, the first like three or four episodes, we talk about journaling and setting goals and how to master goals and just setting your life up for being intentional on the way you live. Yeah. I, I love that message. And it's, it's amazing to me that it's, you know, as someone who's kind of been in a very similar time span as you working in this personal development type journey, probably eight, nine years myself, I forget how some of the most basic concepts are not practiced by 90% of the people in the world. And, um, so it's really awesome. You're kind of bringing that to people. Uh, so I, I kind of want to, I'm, I'm, curious moving back, like, you know, I had some defining moments in my life that, that set me on this path. Um, and I'm thinking that, you know, you have this date 10 years ago and it, it coincidentally aligns with when you started CrossFitting. So why don't you go ahead and, and kind of, is there an alignment there? Is there a reason that CrossFit, was it the catalyst for your, your change? 
Yeah, it was more about it. Was, it kind of turned into CrossFit just because it it was kind of in line with it all. It basically all started like I could tell you, like I don't remember the actual day that it happened, but I could tell you, I could pinpoint where it was, like where I was going and like how it started. Basically, the um, I I ended up proposing to my wife, and of course she said yes. And at that time, we were eating super unhealthy, just still drinking a big bottle of wine and I smoking cigarettes and we'd still go out on the weekends and we'd still do happy hours. Um, just, you know, just drinking day drinking, doing, doing whatever we wanted. We didn't, we didn't have any kind of life goals really. You know, we both had our jobs and she had her air traffic control career started and she was maybe one or two years into it. So she wasn't fully blown in into the whole out of the party lifestyle, you know, we were both sales reps at Sprint and got into management later on. And so we were still kind of, we were still on the party life and still having fun and living that salesman life that just, just go, 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 you know, fast mm-hmm. money, fast cars. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the, with the turning point in my life was when I asked her to marry, marry me and she said, yes. And we we're on our way back from Houston where her parents lived. And we, we just saw her family. And I think we saw my mom at the time. I think we, yeah, cause my mom was living there too. So I think pretty sure we, we just kind of visited family, let everybody know that we were getting engaged or we got engaged. And well, this little side story there is she ended up losing the engagement ring cause we were doing a little workout in Houston and out in the, out in the driveway or something. And she put the, her ring on the back of the car on the bumper. And we ended up going to look at a wedding venue. That's what we were doing. We we're looking at wedding venues and we went to go look at a wedding venue and we're like two hours into this. And she's like, Oh no, my ring. And I was like, where, where the heck's your ring at? She goes, I don't know. I must've taken it off when we were working out. And so we were freaking out during this whole wedding process thing. And then we finally made it back to her parents' house. We stopped at the end of the road and started looking everywhere. And we finally found it like a quarter, about a half mile down the road at a stop sign. When, wow. Yeah. So the ring was bent, but the diamond was still there. And so she still has the original diamond from when I asked her to marry her, just not the little, hmm. the little ring part, I guess it's whatever the single one is. The band. The band. Yeah. yeah. And so on the way back home from that trip, it was from Houston to Lafayette and it takes about four, four and a half hours to get home. And I was just, there was little triggers kind of building up to it. And people tell you to quit smoking all the time. And you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You don't know anything. And you just blow them off or they, you know, whenever somebody tells you to get rid of your bad habit, you just blow them off. You're like, yeah, whatever. Cause your, 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 your brain is not ready to give up that habit yet. And so I would blow people off and, you know, you're standing outside smoking and you don't think you stink. And then you go back inside and everybody's like, oh, you stink. And it's just smoking's terrible. So kids, if you're here listening to this, don't ever smoke, but <laughs> <laughs> just don't do it. Um, and so on the way home from Houston that day, I'm driving and we're driving a little, uh, what was it? For, not a forerunner, but um, Pathfinder. And... I decided I was I was going to quit smoking at the end of the day. So I smoked whatever cigarettes I had left between Houston and Lafayette. And it probably had to be like half half a pack to three quarters of a pack of cigarettes on the <laughs> way back. So like four, four and a half hours, I smoked them all. I was like, I'm, I'm done. There's no more. Like I could just smell everything about it. Like I was just, I was, it was so disgusting to me. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to smoke the rest of these and just be done. And we ended up getting home kind of kind of late that night. We went to bed. Uh, probably had probably had a glass of wine first, then went to bed or something like that. And we woke up the next morning, and my wife's like, or my girl fiance at the time is like, "Hey, you want to go smoke?" And I was like, "No, I'm good." She's like, "Why not?" I go, "I quit." She goes, "Well, when did you quit?" I go, "Last night." She goes, "Why didn't you tell me?" I go, "I just did." <laughs> she was like, "Uh, okay," and. From that day on, I've never had a cigarette. That was the last time. Like my mind said no, and I like to think I didn't go through any withdrawals, but my wife will tell you a completely different story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, it takes about three days to really get 
out of the addiction because you, you're really only addicted to the nicotine for three days and then it's out of your body. And then you're just addicted to the action of smoking. And so you have to replace right. it with something. And the cool thing about it is my wife quit a week later. And so when she was all irritable and snappy and bitter and hated the world, I just sat there laughing because I knew what was going on. And mm. she was like, shut up. Quit making fun of me. <laughs> and so ever since then, like we, we've never touched cigarettes and, you know, we've been so thankful, but another underlying factor that kind of goes into the whole, after what, once I get into like talking about drinking and things like that, like the underlying factor is I never wanted to lie to my kids about something. I didn't want to, I mean, obviously we have to lie to our kids about some things about, you know, you can't watch this on TV, blah, 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 things like that. But I didn't want to be the guy hiding behind the house, smoking a cigarette while his kid was inside wondering where daddy was or, mm -hmm. you know, on the beach and you have to go walk off somewhere to go hide behind the pavilion or something like that, or hide behind your car. Like I didn't want to be that guy. And I didn't want my, my kids, uh, have to go through that to, for me to lie to them saying, Oh, daddy was just over there fixing something. And then later on, you know, they find out I was smoking and lying to him the whole time. That, I mean, that's some trauma that a kid doesn't really need to go through. Right. And so that was like a deep, besides just the stink and just not wanting to do it. Like the deeper why was probably for my unborn kids. <laughs> Crazy as it sounds, they weren't even born yet, but I was doing it for them. So you had a vision of the, the father you wanted to be, like the idea of what what would make you the best father possible before you had kids. Yes. Like you had already started to develop that. Yes. Yes, I did. And which And so that was ultimately the motivator? Ah, oh yeah, for sure. Like besides wow. I mean, just besides being married and the the bottom yeah, the bottom line was I wanted to I didn't want to be a liar to my kids and I didn't want my kids to see me smoking. Like it's just yeah. I just couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't bring myself to do that. Like my mom smoked. And then the funny, the crazy thing is I didn't even start smoking until I was like 22. Like mm -hmm. I quit basically back in college. Like I quit smoking weed and I was like, well, what do I do now? So then my buddies I was all hanging around with, they still smoked weed and smoked cigarettes. I was like, well, give me a cigarette. They're like, you don't smoke. I was like, well, I do. I'll just try it. Blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. dumbest, dumbest thing not the dumbest thing I've ever done, but <laughs> it was a, it's up there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I lasted 20, 21, 22 years without doing it with my mom smoking and then freaking bonehead yeah. move in college. But yeah, it was mainly for the unborn children and the definitely the, the outlook of the father I wanted to be and just the person I wanted to be for them. So you you at some point started kind of diving in. I'm, I'm thinking maybe you were reading books or listening to podcasts or whatever it was where you started diving into this personal development. Like I need to be better. So like, it started with smoking. Like during this, like the smoking and everything, like in 2010, I wasn't, it was just me. Like I just started it. I didn't read any books. I didn't read. I didn't do anything. Like I didn't know about personal development. I, I didn't know about, motivational speeches. I didn't know about any of that kind of stuff. Like I never heard of Tony Robbins or any of those people. And I just started, started slowly changing. And I read a, I read the internet. I read a website, the internet. I read a website about how to quit smoking. And I really wish mm -hmm. I knew which one it was because it was super cheesy looking. It you know, it was from like a, it looked like a 99, 1999 website where it was just like, <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it was just words. It had a, like a break point and then it had like a terrible background on it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was one of those and I read about it and I was just like, okay, cool. Like, let me see how this works. And I tell people that I've got plenty of probably like five or six people that quit smoking in the, my CrossFit gym that have actually started smoking when they showed up. And I tell them it's just, you know, it's three days to get out of your system. After that, it's just, you're, you're just addicted to moving, moving your hand or doing something like that. But another trick is what he had on the site is the fact that the cigarette will suppress your appetite. And so why people, the reason why people gain weight when they quit smoking is because they replace it with food because they're actually hungry. And when they were hungry before they would just smoke a cigarette and the hunger would go away. So the more I looked into it, the more I read about they would actually add a little bit of sugar into the tobacco. 
and the sugar is what curbs the hunger. So to be able to have the same effect as, as the cigarette, the best thing would do, best thing for you to do is go eat like two strawberries or like a small handful of blueberries. And it would mm-hmm. give you that same feeling of you're not hungry and take the hunger pain away. And therefore you only ate like 15 calories where most people just go get a cheeseburger or start eating on chips or something like that. Something they could just keep moving their hands with. But as soon as that hunger pain goes away, you don't have the urge to do the smoking sensation anymore. And so that got me through all the withdrawal kind of things. And just knowing that in my head was actually a mental like a mental strong point for me to just be like, no, you're not even hungry. It's just, you would normally be smoking right now. So just don't worry about it. Just go on about mm-hmm. your day or I'd go get the strawberry and just keep moving. But also I replaced the cigarettes with working out. So that always helps out. Yeah. I've heard <laughs> a lot of people um, like an addictive personality or moving away from an addiction. There almost always has to be a substitution. Yes. Like it, it, it's like so common for it to be a substitution or, you drop back in yep. um, to whatever it was before. So you started CrossFitting. Um, did your fiance at that time CrossFit? Or yeah, we was si- it just you? Yeah. Uh, we signed up together. We actually went in there and um, we did a boot camp like a month before at this one gym. And this guy used to come in, the owner of CrossFit Lafayette at the time. He used to come in all the time into the bank because the bank I worked at was like right in the same parking lot. He's like, why don't you come try it out? Why don't you come try it out? And I was like, man, that looks pretty scary. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that. And I talked to the wife and researched it a little more. And I went over that my talk to the wife. I was like, let's go check it out. Cause she wanted to get, you know, she wanted to get healthy too and start working out. And so we went over there and we started talking to him and they were doing the workout Cindy. And I was like, man, the shirts are off. These guys are flying through doing pull-ups and everybody's having a good time. Good time in quotation marks, of course. And, you know, they're just crushing it. And I was talking to Wes about it and, Asked them what kind of diet and things. They were talking about the zone diet and, mm-hmm. you know, just different things about CrossFit. And I was like, all right, well, sign me up. Sign us up for three months each. <laughs> you just went all in. Went all in. Yeah. And we ended up going to Buffalo Wild Wings afterwards because it was right across the street. And that was kind of like one of our places to get a beer and eat some wings. Of course, because we weren't eating healthy yet. And right. uh, she, she was like, I thought we were going to talk about it. I was like, we went over there and we talked about it. She goes, I thought we were going to talk about it afterwards. I was like, ah, we'll, we'll get, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, ever since then, you know, I took, I took the reins with it and went with it. And then she worked out for quite a long time at the gym. And then we got a little home gym within like a year and a half. Cause her schedule was just getting crazy and it was hard to get to the gym. And so we got the home gym and then she started, she did, she did CrossFit pretty much all through the pregnancy with Harper. And then after that, she kind of like just, the gym was so far away. It was 25 minutes away when we were living in Pensacola and her job was 45 minutes away. And it was just like, once you, once she had Harper, it was just hard to leave her, be a mom and leave your kid at the gym. Cause as soon as you hear that cry, they go running us men. Mm-hmm. You hear the cry. You're like, ah, oh, they'll be all right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't have that, that mom gene. No, my, my, it's funny. My wife just started a, uh, a business based on workouts for mothers uh, oh, because of her it's a similar journey. Like we owned a CrossFit gym, just like you guys. And she's like, my job is to be available for my kids. And so she's developed this whole system where, you know, she obviously she does it at home and now she's sharing that with other women, but that's the reason she wanted to stay home. She wanted to be attentive to the kids. And, um, I just wanted to go work out with other people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or like, oh, yeah. oh, let's go, let's get this done. Um, so, so you started CrossFit. I I'm guessing you fell in love with it because not three years later, you're owning a gym. Oh yeah. Um, the, uh, now was this your first business? Uh, pretty much for like the first serious business. Um, mm, like I okay. kind of did, uh, I tried doing a website and it was early two thousands. And um, I met this guy that he had, it was basically called borderpharmacy.com. And at the time you were allowed to get a three month prescription from anywhere in the world and have it delivered to you. Didn't matter what it was. It, you didn't have to have a prescription for it. And so it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh, wow. it was cheaper to get medicine that way, but you could also get volumes. You could get 
Xanax. You could get anything you wanted. You could get through the internet with this thing. And he had, it was a membership site back when membership sites were really popular. And all it, all it did was sell information. It just gave you links to these different pharmacies where you could order these medicines from. And he wouldn't let me do that kind of site, but he said, why don't you try out this steroid site where these people can order steroids? And I made this website and then made my members area and put in, um, you know, these links to where these people could get these steroids from and have them delivered to their house. Cause I mean, it was legal before when, when we were doing it. And so I didn't technically sell steroids. I just sold the information to where to get the steroids from. And it did. Okay. I can't really remember, um, like how much money I made from it or how well it did, but I ended up doing some ads on Google ads and things like that. When, when it was super cheap to be able to do that, I guarantee you, like if you did put in volume now into AdSense, into the AdWords manager, it's probably like four or $5, maybe more a click. And back then mm. it was like five to 10 cents a click. Yeah. Like right. it was crazy cheap compared to now. And so I think that was mainly my first real business. And then my buddy and I, Jack, that he's pretty much like my guardian angel that's got me through pretty much everything I've went through. And since I graduated college, a little bit after I graduated college, pretty much when I moved to Austin, which I don't remember the year I moved to Austin, graduated 2000, lived in Oklahoma City for a year. So maybe like 2001, 2002 is when I was in Austin. And we ended up, I worked at Foot Locker for a little bit, like a month or two, trying to get my, get back on my feet and, you know, trying to find a place. I had to move in with my mom at that point. And I got a job at a cell phone company, Oztex PCS, and met Jack. And we just became like best friends ever since then. And we still talk to this day. He, you know, like we're kind of, we're kind of connected in a way that most people aren't connected. It's kind of crazy, you know, that we could still, I, I think I told you that the other day, like he's my battery. Like he's the one I could call and just get charged up and be fired up whenever I need to. And never look back. And then it doesn't matter if we talk for like, we go a month or two or a week without talking. We just pick up like we never, we haven't talked in that long, you know, like we just, we just talked yesterday, but we met him and we actually started this website called, um, atxnightlife.com. Mm. And this is where we started. We were, we were already going like downtown on the weekends and we weren't like super big into I mean, we were getting drunk. Don't get me wrong. We, I mean, we were, we weren't getting drunk every night at that point in time. And what happened is we made this atxnightlife.com. And what it was, was you, we had all the drink specials for all the bars downtown on there. And so we would use this excuse to go downtown every night to see if the drink specials change or see what was happening. And then we would update the website the next day. And needless to say, we, I mean, we probably, like we were getting, I mean, who knows like how many, I can't remember like how many unique visitors, but it was getting like a million visitors a month. Like people had oh, it. Wow. Yeah. People had it as their screensaver or their homepage on their computers. And we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So we didn't make any money on it, but it would have been, if we knew what the hell we were doing, maybe had a mentor or two, we probably would have made some money, but we yeah. had, you know, we had it going, but nobody kind of believed in it like the bar owners didn't and we didn't we didn't sell it right to the bar owners because we were already getting the information they're like why are we going to pay you to put information on your website you're already getting it so we should have done like ads and things like that but you know live and learn it was a good lesson i learned how to do you know perfected not perfected but got better at doing making websites and learning code and back then there was no wordpress like you had right. to learn html and um yeah. <laughs> All that good stuff. So I ended up yeah. teaching myself that. And that's kind of when him and I got into like real, real deep, 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 deep partying where we were going out seven nights a week and, you know, functioning, basically functioning alcoholics is what we were because we were still making right. it to work on time. But there was a lot of times when we would drive to work and we'd be like, how the hell did we get here? Mm. You know, like by lunch, you're like, hey, man, did we drive here? Yeah, well, we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, and you know, it was the, those times where 
you you get to work and you're just hungover. You got a headache. You feel like crap. You're like, I'm not going out anymore. You probably might have thrown up a couple times. And, you know, I'm not going out tonight. And then by the time you got off of work, because we were in sales, so we're working like 10 to 6, sometimes 7. We get off work, go home, eat, and then we're like, hey, man, you want to go downtown? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you you obviously you brought up drinking like you know so do you drink do you still drink no i actually quit drinking in 2012 and and that goes along and like i said earlier like it goes along with my unborn children and it also goes with me wanting to be married because i was married at that time and i ended up quitting mm-hmm. drinking in february 8 19 2012 and I got married April 30th, 2012. And I actually did the math for this on a client the other day. And I was like, oh my God, I wasn't even married a year before I almost destroyed my marriage. Like it hit me that I didn't even last a year. I thought it was like two years because it was like 2012. So I was just like guessing, you know, two years, why right. not? But it was, it was February, March, April, like 10 months, lasted 10 months before I almost lost everything. Over drinking. So how would you explain what you mean? You almost lost everything over drinking. So basically, you know, we were still doing CrossFit and everything, but I had some friends in town that were both Kelly and I's friends. And it was Mardi Gras weekend, Mardi Gras week. And so in Lafayette is almost like New Orleans and you just go out drinking every day, all day long, all night long. And Kelly was just getting sick and tired of it. I was running my mouth, you know, just, I don't have a filter when, when I'm mm. drinking and there's no off mm-hmm. switch, no filter, no off switch. And there's definitely no tact involved in any of that. And so I probably said some, I know I said some really bad things to her, you know, and probably cussed her out or just, just some terrible, terrible things that as a sober person is like, I would never say that to my wife at this point in time. And you know, I ended up throwing a beer bottle because she went into the bedroom and I ended up throwing a beer bottle at the bedroom and she came out and she was like, that's it, I'm leaving. And like right before that, I was went to go take a shot of the vodka. It was like blueberry vodka. And she's like, don't take a shot. And I was like, I said, F you with a B on the yeah. end of it. And I took it anyways. And then she, that's when she went and slammed the door and went in there and I threw the beer bottle at her and said a couple more explicit words probably. And then she said she was leaving and then she ended up going to a friend's house and staying at her friend's house that night. And of course, you know, drunk me was sitting there texting away and she's like, just leave me alone. I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. and we've had our other problems during that 10 months. This wasn't just the only one, you know, she stayed out one night too long and, you know, just different, different things have led up to it. And so that, that morning, like I just woke up and I was at texter and I was like, realized she wasn't there and she wasn't answering. I just had this, this feeling of I'm going to lose everything if I don't quit drinking. Like this, yeah. is, this is it. Like this is the last straw. She's never left before. She, this, you know, she, she's had it. She's like, this is, this isn't going to work anymore. And my friends ended up leaving. And I went to lunch with, or dinner with one of my other buddies that we were both friends with. And I told him, I was like, I have to quit drinking. He's like, well, what? I told him the story and everything. And he's like, well, I mean, do what you want, but I don't think you really need to quit drinking. And I was like, no, I need to quit drinking. And even Jack, when I told him, he's like, man, I don't think you need to quit drinking. And I was like, no, I have a serious problem. I have to quit drinking. And he's like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can handle that. If you come back and we can't just go sit down and have a beer together. And I was like, well, it's not going to happen. Like, I'm not going to drink anymore. Like I need my wife. I want to be married. I want to have kids. And if I keep drinking, I'm not going to have either one of those. And that's the, the decision I have to make to from this day on. And from that day on, never touched another, you know, don't smoke any weed, don't take any pills. The only time I did take some pills is when I broke my foot. And I told the doctor, I was like, I'm sober. I'd really like to not take any pain medication. And he's like, bro. You're not going to get addicted to this. And the way you broke your foot, ibuprofen is not going to help you. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> I ended up like I smashed my, basically like the the foot when I fell, I fell off the rope like 15 feet. The rope broke and I like fell oh. straight down. And so yeah. I, I landed on the balls of my 
the ball on my foot and my heel was up. So it like bent that way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could kind of picture it. And so it smashed a bunch of those bones inside there. And luckily I didn't have to have surgery, but they all stayed put. And he was like, you're pretty lucky, but he goes, this is going to be way too painful. And they didn't even cast it for like two weeks. Yeah. It was so swollen. And so I did, I did take some pills then. I mean, I still claim sober for, you know, alcohol and everything because after the, that, like there was no more, like, I don't take pills for recreational use. Let's say that. Right. Where, be so, where before if I was out downtown, somebody's like, Hey, you want some hydrocodone? Yeah. Why yeah. not? Let's just yeah. dr- eat that and drink some more. Who cares? You know? I was going to say, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm noticing that, um, your, Quitting smoking and you're quitting drinking has a lot to do with you, you tapped into the fear of loss. Like, you're oh, like, yeah. if I don't change this, I will lose this. And I don't think a lot of people are self-aware at that point enough to to make that decision on their own. At least I, I think there's maybe there are a lot of people, but people that get stuck in these cycles. So <clears throat> what would you say to someone? I mean, you're you're like what, eight years sober now? Yeah. Um, and and 10 years without smoking. What would you say to someone who drinks a little too much now? Or, um, I mean, what is your advice at this point? And my advice is, like, if I would, like, I actually have a friend that I'm talking to, kind of, I kind of call her a client, kind of like, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a client, but I'm trying to really help her. And she actually reached out to me after listening to my podcast and we'd been friends all the way in, back in college. So it's been, I mean, she's 38. So, I mean, it's been 20 years almost since we've actually like talked. And she reached out to me and asked me about if she goes, you told me you were, you said you were sober in your, one of your podcasts. And, you know, did do you think you had a drinking problem? I was like, yeah, I did have a drinking problem. And of course she was like, you don't have to answer me. You don't have to say anything. I was like, oh no, I had a huge drinking problem. Like, it was really, really bad. And so I started talking to her about it. And I would, I was like, why? What's going on with you? She's like, I pretty much haven't not drank in a long, long, long time. Like she'll go. Mm. I mean, she'll drink a bottle of wine and then finish it off with two beers and yeah. just think it's normal. I'm like, hey, that's not normal. I used to think it was normal, but it's not normal. And the amount that I used to drink back then, you know, we were drinking Jaeger and Red Bull as a drink. Right. Like that's that's, a, that's your regular daily. <laughs> yeah, that thing, was like huh? yeah, that was like your beer. And we were drinking yeah. that at night, you know. And so yeah. I told her I was like you that's a lot of drinking. I go, I'm not going to judge you or anything about it, but let's talk about why. Like why are you drinking yes. so much? And what I've been, I, like, I didn't tell her to quit drinking and I've been talking to her for about two weeks and I just keep asking her these basically like journaling questions is what I call mm-hmm. it. Trying to come down to what her why is going to be. Cause I asked her to actually write down like why she thinks she wants to quit drinking or why she thinks she has a problem. And she, she still hasn't done it two weeks into it. She's so scared of what the change will bring or what will happen to her. And I'm, you know, like another question I asked her, like, what's your biggest fear? And she's like, my biggest fear is losing her child, Addie. And she's already gone through a divorce and, you know, so she's already kind of mentally not strong in that point. Mm -hmm. But her biggest fear is something that's going to happen to her daughter. And And so I'm trying to get that, bring that, bring that why out stronger. So the the best thing for somebody to do if I if I was going to talk to them is find out try and find out their why and like why they're actually drinking because most of the time when you're drinking you're just hiding from something. You're yeah. hi- you're you're coping for something that you don't want to be brought back up and it's just a terrible way to cope over something when you could just we could get a mentor or a coach and journal through it. You know, like you don't even have to go to a a shrink anymore as they called them back then. Like there's so many other personal development people that can help you more than a shrink can because we're not bound to certain laws and we can't not say things. We And we're going to try and help you, not just give you some pills to make you better or give you some um, 
Prozac. I don't even know if they still sell Prozac and stuff. To I don't either. <laughs> chemically redo your cerebellum in your brain yeah. to make you happy all the time. When you when all you're doing is just masking the issue, you could you should just stay drinking because it's gonna be. I mean, maybe not, maybe not that extreme, but it's you know you're, you're just masking those symptoms, and you really need to dig deep, deep, dig deep into why you were drinking so much. And so yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say my buddy, like I talked to him talked to Jack a few weeks ago when I was at this mastermind and I was kind of telling him about the love that I have now for everything, the appreciation I have, the the sense of gratitude and all these different things. And he reminded me, he's like, you know, I used to tell you that like eight years ago, right? I was like, no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, you did. No, no, I'm pretty sure you didn't because I would have listened to you. He's like, no, you pretty much told me to F off and I was dumb. I was like, okay. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. And he, I mean, uh, and he reminded me like how angry of a person I was when I was drinking. Mm. And I was just masking the fact that I wasn't happy. I wasn't where I wanted to be. I was living with my mom on the couch. I wasn't, I didn't have my career. Um, I failed the series seven by like one point in Oklahoma City. And that was going to be my career right out of college. And it just like it just tanked from there. Like that was like the, now that I'm talking about it, I've been trying to think and journaling through it, like what was the turning point? But I'm pretty sure that was it. Like failing that yeah. test, because that was supposed to be my life. Like I had plans for it and everything. And with Edward Jones, you're only allowed to do it one time and then you it's you pass it or not. And I missed it by one point. And oh. so it was just one of those. And then I ended up selling cars and just got with the wrong people. Yeah, that's where it was. That yeah. was the turning point. Right on. I'm glad we could help you find that. And I think, <laughs> I think you, I want to, I want to like kind of harp on a point that you brought up a few th- times. Yeah. This introspection, this journaling and reflection, men think it's, you know, it's not manly. I think a lot of men kind of have this persona of like, well, journaling, I have to sit down and write. I have to do all these, you know, this time. And that's, that's not it. And I mean, your growth if we look at the things that you've done, they've come from reflection. They come from what is this, how is this going to impact my future? And I think there's a, a huge message here for people who um, are, are wondering if what they're doing is the right thing. Like m- my answer is if, if you can't share that with your kids, if you don't share it with your wife, it's probably not a good thing. Like, right. <laughs> like that's my, that's, that's my journey. If I can't say I did this in, in, the other room of the house and I can't tell my kids and wife exactly what I was doing, then it should, I shouldn't be doing that. You're right. And yeah. And that's based on my own moral judgment. It's not some bigger thing. It's just, you know, how I'm built with that. And I I think we need to ask ourselves that constantly. And I think journaling and I think reflection and those things really help you get to the source of really what's going on. And I think, you know, it sounds like that's a real big point of yours. So I have two more questions. One is, what's your motivation for your podcast? Just to basically like my philosophy right now is to let me read it to you. I have it on the on my phone that I look at every day. Dude, so smart. And that's <laughs> part of my morning routines, reading all those things every yeah. single morning. Oh, yeah. So it's a Lisa Nichols quote. I don't know if you heard of her, but she's a... um motivational speaker she's on the quote of the day show a lot and she she came from a like hard times in la gang members and stuff like that and you know told that she was never going to be anything told her told Mm -hmm. that she would never be a motivational speaker or anything like that and now she has books and goes on tour all sorts of stuff but anyways like my motivation for the podcast and just being on a podcast is this is my second one i've actually been on and it's it's so it's so emotional for me to be able to do this because I I never ten years ago I would have never thought I'd be on a podcast talking to somebody about my life or where I was come from and how I think and things like that. But anyways, but mm-hmm. my the the thing I wake up to every day is being unforgettable has everything to do with serving at a high level, serving at a level so high, so big, so massive that people feel like they have to change their lives because they cross your path. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so that's what I look at every day. And that's what really mm. drove me to start the podcast. Cause I had the gym. I was, I was changing people's lives. You know, I probably changed like three, 400 people's lives, but 
how could I do it at a bigger scale and serve, yep. serve more and just serve more people and help more people. And I went, I went battle. I battled my brain over and over and over if I was going to do a podcast or not. And I was just like, you know what? I told a few people like, yeah, you should do a podcast. You're really good at motivating, you know? So I thought I wanted to be like a motivational speaker. And cause I was listening to so much motivational speeches and everything. I was like, man, I want to be that guy. I want, like, I still want one of my quotes or something on a YouTube channel somewhere with some music behind it. Put right. up with like Eric Thomas and Tony Robbins. Like I still want to be intertwined in one of those, one of these days. And just, once I put out the podcast, like the very first one, like probably 20 something people listened to it or had already listened to it. And I was like, oh, wow. And I'd, I was already getting some messages like, man, your podcast is awesome. I appreciate it. And then people were already starting to share it like three, three episodes in. And one of my other buddies like, man, I didn't get a share until I was like 10 or 15 podcasts in. And they were posted yeah. on their Instagram just and you know how we all have the imposter syndrome and yes, you know, everybody has it. Like everybody does. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Steve jobs. They had it at some point in time. They probably still do still would. If they come up with something new, they still think, well, they still second guess them themselves. And to see people share it and actually like text me and say, Oh my God, I listened to your podcast. It was really good. I appreciate it. And the first one was, I think it was a COVID, it was like this, I forget which one it was, but the guy used to be a client at the gym and obviously he's on my Facebook and stuff like that, but he ended up finding my podcast, didn't know about it, texting me and he's like, I went and worked out, I was in really bad funk and your podcast pulled me out of it. I really, really That's appreciate awesome. it. It was like I was at your yeah. gym again. Those are like, the greatest, Yeah, greatest, yeah. Yeah, and like yeah. you can't, like you can't replicate that feeling of yeah. helping somebody on such a high level that you have no, you weren't even trying to help them. You were just trying to put stuff out there to help whoever you can and just hope you could help one person. Mm -hmm. Just, just one, mm -hmm. you know, and the more, and I come into my closet, I'm doing it in the closet. And every time I come in the closet, like I did a podcast on Sunday that I got to finish editing and things. And you know, my first podcast, I probably had like three pages of notes all wrote out, like almost a whole discussion on this thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then the next podcast, a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. And this time is like front and back, but it was more like bullet points instead of like paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this doesn't look so bad. I'll probably be in there about 15, 20 minutes. Came back out <laughs> 45 minutes later. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we... Uh, you know, so it sounds like you have something to say and you're hoping for it to impact people. Yes. Um, yes. And, and I think the reach with podcasts and, you know, these new, they're not new, but these, these, the presence where people, you can impact people all over the world. It's, it's so powerful. Yes. And it, it, it's just a, it's, it's a thrilling experience. Now, I have one one last question for you. Do you what is the most impactful book, uh, mastermind class, or conference or motivational experience you've ever had? I was going to ask book, but you talked a lot about you know masterclass and and uh, speakers. So well, I wanted to broaden that it, a little bit. It's really you. not like a, a huge one. Like a, they kind of all impact me in a little bit for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them just reinforce what I've actually done over the years. And, you know, like Les or Les Brown, like I listened to a lot of his speeches and, mm. you know, I'd already given up watching the news probably when I moved to Pensacola, I still had the news in the very beginning. So 2013, and then I was getting up at five. I was like, well, I'm just not going to watch the news anymore. It's just, it's just negative anyways. And then once I started listening to Les Brown, he's like, why would you wake up? in the morning, in a good mood, turn on the news to be put back into a bad mood. That sets up your day to be in a really bad mood watching the news all day long. Yep. yep. And I was like, well, good thing I already gave it up, Les. I appreciate that. And so, like, the more I was listening to those motivational speeches, was it was basically confirming that I was doing the right thing. Because there's nobody, yeah. unless you have, like, a, 
a father figure or a mentor or a coach, there's nobody there telling you you're doing the right thing or you're doing a good job. And so the, this last masterclass I went to here in Fairhope, it was just, it was, I thought it was just for realtors. And because it was a realtor that put it up, I hadn't quite made the decision to get into real, real estate at that point. And the guy there ended up, he's like the number four realtor in Houston with the, the brokerage firm. Mm -hmm. And he told his story and like everything and just like was so impactful on me that where he came from, like from gang violence, being in a gang to where he's at now. And he's like two years younger than me. And wow, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, why did I wait so long to, to do this? But obviously it was my time to do this starting at 33. I, I wasn't mature enough to do it before then. And God has a path for all of us. And my path just starts a little bit later, kind of like when I had kids. You know, some people start early. Some people start later in life. I was the one who started later in life. Yeah. And so that mastermind I went to, and he talked about that. And it just, I sat down with them and I asked him about how he, how he tells his story and not worry about his kids. And he told me, he's just like, when he turned a certain age, he goes out there and shows them like, some of the bad things he did and why he shouldn't be doing it, why the kids shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, people can change and people can change their lives. And the past is what got you to where you are today. If you didn't go through that, you wouldn't be the person you are today. Exactly. And when he said it, and I told him a little bit about my story and he asked me that, why as soon as he asked me why I was ashamed of it. And I started telling him, mm -hmm. I started like tearing up and my, my lips started quivering I was like, I'm just ashamed at the fact that, you know, I don't want my kids to know that I was an alcoholic and just a party animal and just, just doing stupid things. And the, I mean, the good thing is I never got a DUI, which I probably should have plenty of times, but the whole, you know, and he's like, that all built you to who you are today. You're going to be such a better right. father going through all that and really changing your life around. And when your kids know that you went, you were a, drop dead alcoholic living on your mom's couch to a successful businessman and raising a family and being a husband and having a beautiful wife and raising your kids to where they can actually go to the nice schools and go to the different things. They're going to understand you so much better and have better trust in you that you know what you're doing. And they're going to, they're going to look up to you more as a father figure and, just have more respect for you over that. And I was like, mind blown. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I did a, I did a video not too long ago in the, in the group. And I was like, you know, you have to share your failures with your kids. You have actually, you share your failures and your successes. Like why not l load them up with all these gems that you went through? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's and a cool thing that you went through. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was definitely a, a rough time, and I'm so grateful for where I'm at today, and I'm grateful for mm -hmm. never having a DUI and getting that kind of stuff on my record, and making it out of it alive, and just so that way I could be like the best father that I can be. Like, I could not, I could not be hungover and deal with a kid. My kids are the world to me, and that that goes back on lying to him. Like, why would you lie to him that you're hungover? Right. You know, and I see yeah. parents do that all the time. They, they're, yeah, there's parents around here drinking at four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what are you doing? Your kids are mm -hmm. still home. Like you are still not hundred percent. And one thing, this is going to sound morbid. If you want to cut it out, go ahead. Cause my wife didn't really like it, but I was telling that other client of mine that you're drinking a bottle a night you might not think that is doing anything to you, but you're coping to go to sleep or you're, you're trying to drink that to numb the pain and numb the world out. And if you get too drunk, even though you don't feel drunk, you might still be passed out. Like what if your kid is at home, the fire alarm goes off. You can't hear the smoke detector because you're passed out drunk and your kid's upstairs and you can't, and your kid ends up dying, but you end up living. Right. How are you going to live with yourself being so drunk? You're just going to go into a deeper, deeper drunken debauchal of just such negativity. And yep. 
if you were sober, like if right now, if I'm sober and my house caught on fire, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to hear the smoke alarm. I'm going to run up to get my kids and I'm going to make it outside. And even if I didn't and somebody died, I still gave everything I could. No, I knew every, I gave everything I could knowing that I tried as hard as I could, that I was in the right state of mind. Like there was nothing clouding my judgment on what, what happened. I could live with myself then. Obviously, this is all hypothetical. I could live with myself then, but I know I couldn't live with myself if I was drunk, passed out. But another guy lives in Austin, had his kid in the car and passed out on a bridge mm. and got a DUI because he passed out in the, in, in the car with his kid. Like, could you imagine living with yourself like that? No. And like, I think, I don't think this is morbid at all. I think this is, this is reality. Um, and I think that, I think that we do need to think that way. Like, here's a here's a quote that I heard from a really wise man, and I, and I love it. He said, "You know, as parents, we always say I would die for my child. I would I would I would literally choose to die to keep them alive." He goes, "But when we're faced with change, the question is is would you change for your child?" And usually people don't. And it's pretty much these like, okay, you're, you're willing to die for your child, but you're not willing to change for your child. It's a really good question. Yeah, and, it is. And yeah, because it, then it's a challenge of like, yeah, that's a moment, a decision you make in a very moment. Like, okay, I'm going to step in front of this, whatever, and it's going to kill me and I'm going to save my kid's life. Well, you're making a conscious decision minute after minute when you drink or or do something that incapacitates you. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying drinking's bad. I'm just saying that um, out of control, you are losing control of the the way that you can respond, and who, no one needs to live with that. Oh yeah. Um, That's awesome. So to wrap, I love that quote. Yeah, it is. It's really good. So the way it went was, you say you would die for your children. But would you change for them? That was that was it. I just extrapolated yeah, no, no, no. from it. But, <laughs> um, but he's he's a hundred percent right. Whoever said that, and that's the yeah. way I live. Like that's the way I live. Like I will change my life for my kids. I will change yeah. everything in the heart in a heartbeat. I love that. All right. Um, so how do people find Marcus Allgood? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Marcus Allgood. You can find me on Instagram at Marcus Allgood. And then you can email me at Marcus at MarcusAllgood.com. I don't have a website yet. Just the Instagram and Facebook. It's pretty much all you need nowadays. And, and your my podcast. podcast, The Marcus Allgood Show. It's on Apple, Stitcher, Google. It's pretty much on all of them. I'm pretty sure. You can just search The Marcus Allgood Show and you'll find it there. And I'll also tell you, email me whenever you want. If you got some questions, like always email me. I'm always there to serve and help as many people as I can. Awesome, man. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode with Marcus, I have a feeling you'll enjoy the rest of them that we have out there and the ones coming up. We have some really great ones coming. And if you haven't done so yet, hit that subscribe button. We release podcasts every Tuesday and Thursday, and that will keep you up to date and you will find the ones that you really want to listen to that pertain most to your life. If you're a man, one thing you really should do is join our Brotherhood of Fatherhood Facebook group. If you are not a man and you want to follow what we're up to, you can follow us on Facebook at Brotherhood of Fatherhood page. And we're also on Instagram and you can follow Scott Ramage on LinkedIn for updates there as well. 